by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Been a great summer. The summer is behind us. Janet, we have made it into September, which means... There's a lot of folks that are out and about doing a lot of hunting and fishing and all kinds of fun as we kick off Labor Day weekend. That's right. It is such a fantastic time to get out. You know, it falls one of my favorite seasons. And and I think it's the same for a lot of people as it starts to get a little bit cooler. And of course, we're all encouraged to get outside due to um, kind of our hunting season. So whether people are out scouting or whether they're actually um, hunting for a harvest, um, it is lots of folks in the field time my plan uh is to do a lot of camping and being outdoors for the next couple of months because i feel like the uh, early fall is going to be a great time weather-wise to do that but one thing that i have always since i was a kid made sure i had was sunscreen and bug spray and bug spray is one of those things that really is important about what we're talking today because of this uh, West Nile virus that has uh, has really kind of plagued us here again in Wyoming. That's right. It's nothing new this year, Drew. We have um, different cases of West Nile virus across the state every year. And we have Jessica Jennings Gaines with us today, who is the supervisor for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department Wildlife Health Lab, who's going to talk to us a little bit about what is going on with West Nile virus in our population of wildlife. And of course, just as a reminder, Game and Fish is not a human health agency. And so we want to refer any of those questions or people who have been interested there to the state health department or your local health department. They have all sorts of fantastic information. So yes, definitely take your bug spray, but we're here to talk about birds. And uh, Jessica, thanks again for coming on. Congratulations. You're in in a new chair now than the last time we spoke with you, but uh, the West Nile is... um, what birds does it really affect here in Wyoming? Uh, thanks, Drew. Um, so first of all, West Nile virus, it, it kind of the reservoir for West Nile virus is birds, wild birds, um, usually like songbirds, you know, and most of those are going to be asymptomatic. They're going to carry it. Um, they're going to allow those mosquitoes to pick it up and transmit it to other things, mostly birds. Um, And you're never going to notice they're not going to be sick or anything. But there are certain species of birds which are very susceptible to getting some of those clinical signs, getting the encephalitis um, and succumbing to this disease. Um, And and most susceptible um, are corvids. So corvids are going to be your crows, your ravens, your jays. Um, For some reason, they're very susceptible. Um, And that's what we're getting a lot of calls on so far this summer. Um, A lot of of those um, in-town crows, ravens, um, you know, where folks are seeing them. Um, also raptors can be very susceptible, owls, um, sage grouse, we believe, although sage grouse seem to be susceptible to a lot of things. Um, but uh, those are the birds that you're probably going to most likely see it in. Uh, I will say we had, um, a case this summer. I wasn't aware, but we had some pelicans that were found dead over on Seminole Reservoir. Uh, we brought them in. Our concern was maybe an algal bloom, um, which we also have a lot of in this time of the year. Um, but turns out pelicans are also very susceptible to West Nile virus. So, wow. so yeah, there's more species than maybe we're on our radar 
Um, but those are kind of the ones to keep your eyes out for. So we had mentioned just a few minutes ago that a lot of hunting seasons kicked off, and that includes bird season, like dove season and wild turkey season are now in full swing. Uh, are any of the game birds that someone would go out and, and harvest, they susceptible as much to West Nile? Um, potentially, you know, I did look up ringneck pheasants. Um, you know, there have been some reports of those getting West Nile virus. Um, you would probably see some clinical signs in those. Um, and again, um, transmission is usually from those mosquitoes. So definitely be wearing your bug spray. You're going to be out in that area where if we do have it in the birds, you know, it could be transmitted to you. Honestly, every mammal has a potential to get West Nile virus. You know, humans have potential. Um, we just had a squirrel test positive in um, Cheyenne. The thing is, you know, these mosquitoes tend to stick to birds. But when we're getting a high population of mosquitoes, they'll move on to other hosts. So, you know, they could be getting on out of the normal population and into new things. The West Nile virus, are the, is it carried by every type of mosquito or are there certain mosquitoes that will carry it more than others? Uh, it tends to be in a species, uh, species that fall under the Culex. Um, and those mosquitoes tend to hatch out later in the summer. So late summer, early fall. So the mosquitoes that you're seeing in the spring, early summer that are hatching out don't tend to carry West Nile virus. Um, and I believe um, a lot of the municipalities in Wyoming do mosquito pool testing. So, you know, we've added when West Nile first came to the United States, it was a huge deal, um, had some some very large effects. And then most of these municipalities started spraying for mosquitoes, which Casper probably does. I know Laramie does in the evenings in the alleys. That's really knocked down the mosquito populations and has really knocked down the prevalence of West Nile virus. So, but like you might imagine, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, the mosquitoes probably haven't been sprayed for. And maybe not every municipality, like Jessica mentioned, does spray for them. So it's a great awareness for, for people to know. And, and again, Public health agencies are an awesome place for all of that as well. But what the Wyoming Game and Fish Department is really asking here is for people just to be aware of sage grouse. If you see some of these grouse while you're out hunting in the middle of nowhere, we would love to have you let us know. Um, whether you are um, picking that up and sending it in to us for sampling, whether you're just calling the game warden or local biologist and saying, hey, this is what we're seeing. We always track every year we ask the public to do this. So this is nothing new, um, but we always track sage grouse populations and how West Nile virus might be affecting them. Because like Jessica mentioned, um, for some reason, they are very susceptible to the disease. When someone is out and about, what are they looking for? I mean, because you mentioned earlier that you really can't tell, but if a bird has the West Nile, what is someone looking for? Uh, normally, some of the signs that you can see in a bird that is sick. Well, a lot of times you'll just find a bird that has died. You know, no outward sign of any trauma, possibly like it just fell out of a tree. Um, but if it is alive, uh, they'll have some clinical signs, a lot of neurologic signs. So they could have some head tilt. Um, they could have some coordination issues. They may have some issues flying. Um, just down on the ground, humans can kind of get near them. Um, we, we did have a couple in town that had some diarrhea. Um, these can be signs of other issues as well, you know. But, you know, if we do get them in and test them, we can kind of uh, piece that out. 
but normally neurologic signs, anything acting a little off could be. And if, if someone finds one of these birds, what's the best way to, to handle this? Because obviously there may be concerns about, oh, well, if it's sick, then can I get sick off of this? And what route should they take? Yeah, there's always that concern because, you, you know, we have been dealing with high, um, highly pathogenic avian influenza um, over the last two years here in Wyoming. Um, and that seems to have calmed down for the moment. We're not getting um, haven't had a positive since April, but you never know when that might come back through with migrating birds. So that's always a good thing to keep in mind. Um, your safest bet is always call the regional game and fish office um, and they can send someone out you know, because they can tell potentially if it was trauma related, if it's, if it's sick to the point that it needs to be euthanized, game and fish can take care of that. Um, and then we can get some more info to determine if we need to bring it in for testing or, you know, if we've already documented West Nile virus in your area, um, we probably don't need to test 10 more crows because um, we're pretty aware that that's probably what's going around um, and we can dispose of it. Or if you give us a call, we can let you know if, if you can just dispose of it. And we always, recommend that, you know, touching any dead animal, always wear gloves, always kind of protect yourself, you know, because you never know what kind of germs are out there. Um, and you can just bag it up and dispose of it in your, your normal household trash. Well, and, and I feel that there are a lot of people that have heard about West Nile and don't really know a lot about the, the virus, but um, can humans get it? Yes. And can they get it directly from these birds? Will it pass on to the bird? It shouldn't, no. Um, not picking it up, touching it. Um, again, it's a, a vector-transmitted bloodborne disease, um, mostly transmitted through uh, mosquitoes. Again, um, you could potentially get it if you had a blood transfusion, you know, and someone had it in their blood. Uh, if you had an, an organ uh, replacement, things like that. Uh, but not normally. You know, here in the lab, we test the brain of these animals. So that's probably a little more um, exposure that you would not have out in the field. So relatively, really low risk. You really need to get it through a vector. So wearing bug spray, making sure that standing water around your house is all taken care of and, you know, everything that your grandpas and grandmas and parents told you to do to keep mosquitoes away, do it. Exactly. exactly. Except for don't paint your walls with DEET. I think that that was somewhere, <laughs> somewhere like they that, would mix that one that went out that. after a while. Yeah, yeah. Let's not do that one. But for reals, it is a great thing. And there are so many great options that are out there now for personal protection um, from mosquitoes, things like the thermocells and, and, you know, great, you know, gazebos that are made of screens and all those sorts of things. And so, so it's pretty easy. And I know that the Department of Health has a great website that talks a lot about West Nile and, and humans. But, you know, again, sage-grouse is kind of where we're looking for um, Wyoming Game and Fish Department at this point. And uh, we just hope that folks can continue to help us in our surveillance across Wyoming of all sorts of diseases. Absolutely. And uh, of course, we mentioned that there are some seasons that are in now and sage grouse comes in September 16th in the Casper region. So uh, definitely be very on the look when you're uh, out hunting this year. Absolutely. And just give us a call anytime. We're just here to help. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Here we are, Brian, in September. And I think I see a little different uh, expression on your face. It may be excitedness. It may be happiness. 
Well, it's a great time of year for anyone that likes to be outside. So, yes, I enjoy it. Uh, I think we're getting to the point, you know, waking up this past week, a couple of mornings, it was a little bit crisp, and almost like fall was trying to move in already. And uh, the elk seasons and uh, a lot of the pheasant and dove and all the bird seasons are coming in. And it really is a good time to come in and make sure that you've got everything. We've talked to you all summer about being prepared for this day. But then there are some folks that have kind of drugged their feet. Yeah, this you know this weekend's kind of one of those strange weekends for opening weekend of hunting season. But it's also kind of like the last hurrah for summer camping and a lot of people out there running side by sides up on the mountain trails. So you're kind of interacting, uh, you know, as with uh, as a hunter with a lot of people that are just out playing also. So uh, kind of creates some different dynamics for this first weekend of uh, of hunting. But, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of people are just gearing up, you know, buying coolers, you know, getting stuff ready that they know that they're going to need, especially with this uh, warmer weather. You know, you got to make sure that they're taking care of those animals once they get them down. Yeah, and that's a, a big concern for a lot of folks, especially if maybe you're not spending a lot of time out in the, the wild or out in the, the bush or whatever, but just transporting that meat. I mean, sitting in the back of a truck for a 30-minute drive is not good. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and a lot of times, you know, guys have multiple antelope tags or, you know, multiple deer tags or whatever it is. And so they might shoot one in the morning and then maybe drive around the rest of the day looking for another one. And, you know, having that animal sit in the back of your truck, especially when it's 75, 80 degrees outside is, is tough. So having a good cooler, have a good plan, you know, have some ice packs, whatever it is. If you're going to debone the animal, whether you got a big enough cooler where you can actually put a quarter in. Um, you know, taking care of those animals is, is critical so that, you know, they're actually going to taste good when you get them, get them uh, you know, processed. So there are a lot of folks, who, you know, we talked about the fact that uh, some of the uh, upland bird game, uh, they're open and I believe sage grouse comes in a couple of weeks. But uh, you guys carry a lot of bird hunting gear here. And that's, you know, one thing that is different with hunting is you almost have to have something different for every uh, animal you hunt. Yeah, you know, this weekend is the uh, opening day of dove season in most areas, and so uh, that's kind of exciting in itself because, you know, we haven't had that big cold snap to push all these doves out of the area. So I'm kind of excited that, you know, we might actually have a, a pretty good couple of weeks of uh, dove season, and we've got all the mojo flyers and the, the little standing decoys and that type of stuff to kind of to help uh, increase your success rates during dove season. I know the last couple of years uh, getting shotgun shells was a little concerning for some folks, but, I mean, your shelves are full of, of ammo at this point. Yeah, we're, we're set up really good for waterfowl season and for the bird seasons that are coming up. Uh, just about, you know, every caliber and every shot size that a guy could possibly want. 410 ammo is still a little bit tough. We got some in this last week, but I think we're going to be in real good shape this year. So once you get that dove, let's say, and, and I know that uh, jalapeno with a dove breast mm -hmm. wrapped in bacon is, uh, you know, maybe some cream cheese. Right, yeah. Uh, that's pretty good, but it's really good if you put it on a smoker. It's uh, one, of, one of my favorite ways to do it. And just like you said, you know, kind of wrap them in a little bacon, just make little uh, finger, finger foods, uh, little appetizers, and it uh, doesn't take long in the trigger, and they definitely taste good. You know, one thing that we've talked a little bit about, too, is if you haven't purchased your hunting license, in a year, you probably ought to get on that. 
Yeah, definitely check that. You know, um, if uh, you know, with with waterfowl season coming up, uh, we did uh, get our first batch of duck stamps in. So they're the same price as they always have been. Same price to pay at the post office, just a little more convenient. Uh, swing on in and get those. Uh, we're gonna have. Um, we've got all the ORV tags. Uh, snowmobile uh, passes are coming in soon. Uh, hopefully we don't need that too soon, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we've, we've got all those licenses and, uh, tags, ORV tags, duck stamps, all that kind of stuff. If you're out in the field archery hunting, make sure you have your archery stamp. That's one that guys tend to tend to forget a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, come on in, you know, we're eight to eight Monday through Saturday and Sunday, nine to six. All right. So don't miss out on any of the fun this fall out in the field. You can get started right here. Rocky mountain discount sports. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. And we're back. It's Brian and Drew. Brian, of course, from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports and the Wyoming Walleye Stampede, which wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. Things looking pretty good now. You're a little stress-free and being able to do some fishing on your own. Yeah, you know, it's uh, nice to nice to have those tournaments over with. Uh, a lot of planning and preparation and uh, great participation. So a lot of guys, you know, need needing stuff throughout the season, but yeah, it's uh this is a, one of the best times of year, especially you know, for a guy like me that didn't draw any uh, elk tags. Yeah. I mean, we got we got a couple leftover cow tags, but um, you know, we're going to that's only going to be a, you know, like a one week time type of deal and some of the best fishing is just coming up, you know, the the water's dropping at Glendo and that spooning bites uh, really kicking in. A lot of jigging wraps and spoons. Um, you know, we talked, Jay, Jay had his, his little, yeah. uh, championship, uh, fit wrapped up last week. And although the fishing was tough, there's still some guys catching some nice, nice quality fish out of Pathfinder. And then our boys in event, uh, a lot of guys catching numbers of fish. Um, you know, we had a 17 inch minimum. So if you want to get up to boys in the water levels are holding out great there, that fall bite up there turns in uh, pretty good as well. A lot of jigging wraps and that kind of stuff and a real good troll bite on that South end. So there's, there's lots of great places. If you're still chasing walleye, uh, boys. And I know a lot of guys were still catching some big old trout, you know, four and five pounders. So that's always produces some great ones up there. Well, that was one of the things that, uh, Jay and I were talking a little bit about was it's interesting how you can be on one end of the boat and I can be on the other end of the boat doing the exact same thing, fishing the exact same thing and not catching one, not catching the other. And that kind of was what he said uh, during the boys in tournament was he would be running the same thing that these guys that were pulling out minimum of 17 and they couldn't hit anything, but they go a hundred feet the other way and start a different presentation and then they're catching. And and it's so interesting. I mean, there's, there's usually something that somebody's doing that's that you might think that you're, you know, you're fishing next to a guy and you think that you're doing the same presentation, but you know, there's, there's guys that really figure, you know, kind of, fine tune like the the pulling cranks for instance you know you might you might think you have 100 feet of line out but you might only have 70 because maybe your line counter is not you know calibrated or it's not uh, giving you the correct reading um you maybe you're running a half a mile slower than the other guy you know uh depth depth and uh color of the lure the speed of what you're doing you know, I, I watched a lot of guys out there that were kind of running S turns, you know, and so a lot of guys will, will pull those cranks in an S turn and then they'll really focus on, okay, well, did I get the bite on the inside rod or did I get it on the outside rod? If I pulled, got it on the inside rod and I was set at two miles an hour, when I make that S turn, that inside rod is going slower than two miles an hour now because you're 
kind of dragging it. But the outside rod might be going 2.2, 2.3. So paying attention to those little details um, it makes, and I've been there. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I, yeah, I, right. I think that I'm, I'm right next to a guy and we're in the same depth of water and, and, uh, I, I'm watching how many times he cranks his reel in to you know kind of get an idea of how many how far back he was and you know there's there's always something different that a guy's doing and a lot of times even uh, you know in the past I mean uh, a number four uh, shad wrap or flicker shad it might produce ten times better than a number five or seven so sometimes it's just size sometimes it is color a lot of times it's speed a lot of times it's how deep you're you're pulling them. And, you know, one of the, the great parts about almost every angler that I've met is there's never been a guy that wouldn't ever try something, right? right. If, if someone else said, well, I caught this fish on this, you should try that. You may not try it right in front of them, but you will eventually be like, well, I'm not catching crap. Let's go ahead and try whatever. Yeah, yeah and, you know, and I've, I've always come to the conclusion that it's always hard fishing somebody else's bite, right? Yeah, right. So. You know, I'm I'm real confident in a certain in certain presentations that I do, and you know, me and you've been out there. You know, yeah. I'm catching fish and you're not, or yeah, you're right. catching fish and I'm not, or what you know. And it's there's always something just slightly different, you know. Right. And a lot of times, you know, you, you start you you start watching that person, and you know, when we're pitching uh, plastics, you know, this last year it seemed like once that plastic hit the bottom, that it would it needed like a one second pause, and so you'd let it sit there, kind of settle, let the dust settle around that that jig. And then you'd pop it back up, and that's when the fish were there. And so, there's always some kind of you know difference that you're doing or, or somebody else is doing that's probably help, helping them be a little bit better. And chasing somebody else's bite might give you an idea of where the pre- the right. bite is on the lake, but uh, trying to chase their presentation sometimes just is tough. But now that that is all you know, kind of behind you, and you can get out and and leisure fish if you want to call it that. If you're going out on, say, Saturday and it's going to be 80 in the afternoon, but it's starting at like 55 in the morning, right? you know, we're into that kind of spring feel again. You know, these, these dog days of summer where the afternoons are, you know, get pretty hot. You know, I try to avoid fishing those, those let the play boaters be out there and yeah. the jet skiers and all that kind of stuff. If you just wanted to go like Pathfinder from, you know, five to eight, six to eight, you know, it's probably going to be probably your best time. The fishing in general kind of slows down, um, at least for the, the walleyes. They, they tend to be a little more active in those morning and evening hours. You know, we've talked about this a, a lot. As a matter of fact, since we started the show, don't let the weather determine what you're going to do. If you feel like fishing, go fishing. Yeah, I went and tr- shot a uh, trap yesterday, you know, and, then, and the guy that w- went with me, he goes, well, it's going to be pretty pretty windy. And I same thing. I told him, like, well, if we, <laughs> if we plan on what we're going to be doing based on the weather, we wouldn't be up here. And we went up and shot for three hours and had a great time. Did he uh, teach anything? Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, quite a few good pointers. You know, uh, skeet's a lot different than trap, and it's definitely a little bit different than uh, sporting clays. So, um of course, you know, I, I keep a shotgun in my hand quite regularly through the winter months yeah. and uh, feel like I'm a pretty good shot. But when it comes to shooting uh, the skeet and that type of stuff, uh, it's a little more challenging, a little bit faster paced. And um, But I think it's definitely going to to help me uh, moving into the duck and goose season. All right. Well, if you are bird hunting, if you're elk hunting or if you're out fishing, make sure to stop in here first at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. 
It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. We do appreciate you tuning in. Of course, you can go to our app and listen to this show anytime on demand. We have Jay Fountain with us this morning. And Jay, you uh, have been running the Walleye League for the Wyoming Hunters and Fishermen. This is your year number two. Was the second year a little better than the first year? Fishing-wise, yeah. We didn't have exactly the the same amount of people this year. So a lot of people had softball or football and stuff with their families already going on. Right. And that gets to be, you know, kind of rough because everybody wants to be able to come out and fish. But, you know, real life kind of gets in in the way. But every week there were some great fish caught. You just had your championship last week. And how did things turn out? It was actually really good. We had a total of 13 boats that made the championship. And to make the championship, you had to at least fish five weeks out of 10. Uh, The championship went really well. It was eight hours of fishing. There was quite a few fish caught. The biggest was a 25-inch walleye. The league bounced back between Alcova and Pathfinder. You ended up having the championship at Pathfinder. Did you see a lot of difference between the two reservoirs throughout the summer? Yes, very much so. Um, There's a boatload of fish at Pathfinder. There is very good quality fish at Alcova, just few and far between. Unless you are on the right spot at Alcova, um, you're going to have a tough time catching walleye there. And then as long as you've got a basic jig and a worm over at Pathfinder, you can catch any size of walleye. It doesn't, doesn't have a set size. You and I have gone out and we fished it at Pathfinder and we were catching, you know, 14 to, you know, 15 to 16 inch fish. And then, you know, you get the Armin trouts that, you know, they ended up whacking some big ones out there at Pathfinder. Yeah, this year they got a couple big ones, uh, especially Kayla Armin trout. Six years old and caught a 31 and a quarter inch walleye. Now that ended up being the biggest fish of the, the league, right? Yeah, of the year, that's the biggest fish. The Armantrout family came out and fished quite a few of them and ended up taking the championship. Yes, yes, they did. They uh, caught the, they won the big fish pot and the overall pot. So they, they so. definitely got that Pathfinder fishing figured out. There's some other people that have it in the bank too, but it's just this late in the year, it's a tough bite and it just depends on where you're at. Running this tournament, has it opened your eyes a little bit to how many people are so passionate about, you know, walleye fishing? I know that you're a walleye fisherman yourself. You were in the the uh, Wyoming Walleye Stampede. But seeing week to week the amount of people that are so dedicated to, to coming out the, and fish, and it's got to be part of the reason you keep doing the league. It's, it's actually surprising how many people – were bummed that they couldn't be there this year. Doing it every other week and being able to do it at two different lakes, there's a certain set of teams that will always be at the Alcova one, but won't be at the the Pathfinder one. If I could, I would hold it everywhere throughout the state. That way, you know, everybody could get a chance to participate. And doing it the way that we're doing it, it builds a lot of camaraderie for the consistent teams that show up really good group of people most of the people that showed up this year were the same that hit 10 weeks last year so it's it's pretty sweet one of the things that you do with the wild hunters and fishermen walleye league is kids are a big part of it and jay i know you 
want to make sure that the future of hunting and fishing is present here in Wyoming. And by allowing the kids to get in, I think it really is uh, a family ordeal. And, and I think that means a lot to a lot of families to be able to bring their kids out and let them participate. It makes it a lot more fun whenever you throw some kids in there and get them competing. My kids had a lot of fun competing against the armor trout kids. And so it, it's, it's a good time for the kids. And during summertime, obviously, the kids don't have uh, the schedules as much as they normally do. But next summer, you're going to do the the Wild Hunters and Fishermen uh, Walleye League again. And uh, obviously, people will have a little time to kind of prepare and get ready to go. And I know there's a lot of people that you want to thank for uh, the great season that you had. I got some sponsors up here that uh, no matter what, Every year they're going to be there, and you can count on them. And the main sponsor this year is Wagner's, uh, Sean Wagner, over at Wagner's Outdoor Outfitters. Bob Maxwell with On the Hook Towing. Uh, Pat Gender with At Ease Hunting. He does a lot for the veterans. And we've got Euro Crown. Uh, he's putting up some some pretty cool stuff for uh, kids. Derek with On Point Hot Shot out of Douglas. Of course, Sloan's General Store. Uh, Aaron Sell with 307 Hydrographics. And then we uh, we actually got you hooking and hunting outdoors. Picked you guys up this year. And then a uh, huge shout out to Pathfinder Boat and Fishing Club. Rick's Customs, he does all of our hats and hoodies and plaques. And uh, even the Stampede threw in for a shootout this year too. So that was pretty cool. Jay, we appreciate what you did all summer long and uh, everything you do with Wild Hunters and Fishermen, and and uh, good luck out there in the field this this fall. I appreciate you guys, man. Thank you. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Welcome back to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. I know we're into the first part of September, which means there are lots of hunters that are out and about out in the field and then throughout the rest of fall and early part of 2024. A lot of elk hunters and deer hunters and antelope hunters and moose hunters and bear hunters all will be out and uh, and going for that big game to fill the freezer and you know, if you shoot an animal and you have problems finding that animal, that could be the biggest fear that a hunter has. You don't want to uh, maim an animal. You don't want to hurt an animal. You don't want to not be able to find an animal. So you got to find it. So what do you do? You can call Rocky Mountain Big Game Recovery. And we have Scott Gillespie with us. And Scott, we always like talking to you and appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot for having me, Drew. Now, you guys have been in, in business for a, a few years now, and and it's really nice to look at the webpage, which is RockyMountainBigGameRecovery.org, and see that the number of uh, those trackers is really growing. You're up to, to 17 different trackers now. Actually, we have about 25 trackers that are that are members of the organization. Uh, 17 of them, I believe, um, wanted to have their um, their their contact information on our map, which is on our website. I have three trackers, or we have three trackers that came from east of the Mississippi River that are actually going to be out here. Um, helping us try to recover some of these big game animals 
here in the month of September. Wow. So they're coming from all over the United States to be part of this group. And, you know, the hunting situation here in the Rocky Mountain region is the best in the country. There's no doubt about it because there's so many opportunities for people to hunt big game. And since you guys have been doing this, uh, what species of animal has been the, the biggest that you guys have had to go in and track? It's across the board. You know, um, very, very rarely do I get an antelope call. Um, you know, I think I maybe had, I, this will be my sixth year of doing this, and I maybe have only done two. And the reason is, is usually antelope go down pretty easy once they've been hit, plus they're in wide open country. So right. even if they run a mile and fall over, you, you really don't need to call in a tracker to find them. September, it's primarily elk. I get my fair share of uh, mule deer calls, too. Once September's over and we get into October and we start to get into the deer rut, uh, the phone starts ringing again, you know, at the end of October and through November. And and uh, I've actually done tracks as late as January on elk, uh, late season elk. So it, it kind of depends on the time of the year which animal that we get the most calls for. When you go out, and, and I know that you have done a splendid job with your dogs and making sure that your dogs are trained up, and you guys have a, a really good recovery rate, don't you? Yeah, you know, if, if, if you know, when, I, when we get phone calls from hunters that need help, you know, I got a list of questions that I start asking guys, and, it, you know, it, it can take me 15, 20 minutes to interview a hunter, you know, and determine... Um, if I think that, that, it, that it's a lethal hit, I have the time to possibly go out there and, and do the recovery. You know, the, the percentage rate across the nation of guys doing this is about 40%. I would say that on average, I might be running as high as 50 and 60% on recovery. But if I did take every track, it, it would probably be more like 40%. You know, there's a lot of different factors that, that play in. Um, private property lines stop us quite a bit. Could be weather, uh, could be nightfall. There's just several factors that, that can play into to not being able to get a recovery. You had mentioned that you ask questions, and you guys have a great section on your website that has those those you know facts that you need to know that will at least help you in your recovery mission. Guys, get into the moment. Um, you kind of want to turn your mind into maybe a recorder as to what is actually happening. You know, I'd like to know what equipment you were using, where, how far the shot was, uh, how the animal was was standing when you took the shot. Was he quarter and two? Was he quarter and away? Was it perfectly broadside? Was he looking directly at you? Um, and then another, the big question is, is how long did you wait once you took the shot to start tracking? Because that, that can, that that's a major factor. Um, you know, I try to tell guys, you know, if you, if you take a broadside shot and, um, with a bow and you double lung him, um, very rarely you're going to give me a call. A lot of times you're going to see the animal go down. You know, as the arrow moves back, you know, a lever shot or or maybe you're way far back and, and, and you hit him, the animal, right in front of the hams, you know, in a, in a gut shot. Those gut, shot, gut shots can be very recoverable 
um, if you give the animal time to expire. And I tell guys, uh, you know, you know, on liver shots, I want them to wait at least eight hours before you go in there and start tracking yourself. Maybe a shot a little bit farther back. Let's wait 12 to 24 hours before we go in there. And we'll usually find that animal within two to 400 yards of where you took the shot. And we're talking with Scott Gillespie, Rocky Mountain Big Game Recovery. And we were talking at the beginning of uh, our conversation here that there are up to 25 trackers that are out to help out. And in Wyoming, we have a really good number of trackers that are in state. So where you're in northern Colorado, if uh, one of the trackers that you contact is right here in in Wyoming, boy, that really cuts down on on that response time, doesn't it? When somebody calls me for a track, let's say I'm I'm here in Wellington, Colorado, just south of Cheyenne. Let's say somebody calls me from Laramie Peak. You know, that's a three- four-hour drive for me to get up there. I might interview the hunter and determine whether um, it's a track that we we possibly want to take. If I can't make it, uh, all of us keep in contact. I will just send out a group text to all the trackers. Hey, I, I have a guy in on Laramie Peak. I think his, his elk is probably dead. Uh, is that, If anybody's interested in taking the track, here's his phone number. So if you call me and you're not just talking to me, you're talking to about 25 different trackers right now. So when the initial contact is made, if you know they go to RockyMountainBigGameRecovery.org and uh, make sure you have the, the numbers in your phone, make sure you have a checklist. You can download those, uh, the questions you're going to ask them so that you can kind of go over that and, and answer the questions before they call in their mind so that they're prepared for you. You know, they're not, they're not going to get every question that I'm going to ask them, you know, and, and I'm going to try to determine whether I think it's, it's a fatal hit if, if we have time to uh, uh, come out there and possibly do the recovery. I mean, this isn't our full-time job. All of us, all of us trackers have, have regular jobs, so that, that's a major factor. You know, we, you got to catch us at the right time to come out and do it. So, you know, another big thing I want to kind of mention on on the show here is if you're listening to this you know if this is something that you're really interested in possibly doing that's another thing we do with our facebook pages is uh, trying to train you know help other people train their dog and uh becoming a tracking team and, and joining the group very cool stuff uh scott gillespie again uh, rocky mountain big game recovery go to their website which is rocky mountain big game recovery.org Get all the information that you need. And, and Scott, I, I do appreciate you being back on the show and, and continued success, and I hope you have a, a very eventful year. Hey, I appreciate it, Drew. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.